0: talk a little bit in the session about forming disciples, exploring music's role in spiritual formation. I think it's ironic sometimes that we don't think of ourselves as music ministers, worship leaders, and we don't think of ourselves in the role of forming disciples. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, I don't know, but I think a lot of times it's an underrepresented role. I'll tell you a little story that kind of got me thinking about it. I have always perceived that the importance of music and the importance of music informing people's lives and shaping them as Christ followers, primarily because that's my experience. I have power to take music and the music I've sung and learned through the years, I power to take that role out. I'm not sure what kind of Christian I would be and what kind of Christ follower I would be. So, personally, it's been hugely formative for me. But several years ago, um, several years ago in an evaluation, I don't know how many of you in your churches have yearly evaluations where the congregation, some members of the congregation, personnel team, and different people evaluate um, you. And those are, you know, my role is, my my belief is sit there and know that all evaluations are painful. Because we never get the top in everything. And as musicians, we want to be at the top always. And so anything less than you're absolutely amazing is always disappointing. (laughs) <laughs> um, for most of us because we we have been trained to be like that. Uh, so anyway, the point was, one of the things that I was marked like satisfactory on was impacting the congregation as um, spiritual beings or something like that, or impacting them in terms of their daily lives and that kind of thing. So I thought, wow, you know, I thought that's what I was doing every week. I thought that's what worship was doing, was changing lives and making people Allowing people to be formed into the image of Christ. And here, somehow, I am perceived as not doing that. So I've got me really thinking about, Am I, how am I doing that? Or how am I not being perceived as doing that, if that were true? So those are the kind of things you want to think about right Another thing that got me thinking in this realm was the, the new book that I have written. Somebody described it, a person whom I have a lot of confidence as a colleague in another institution, said, you know, I think the core of this book is about discipleship. He said, I really think that's what's really kind of woven through this whole book, is this whole idea of discipleship and how we're formed as Christ follows. So I got to thinking, well, that's not really what I had in mind when I was writing the book, but as an overarching theme, but maybe that's true, maybe not. But you've got to be thinking about exploring this further and how does that process take place. So I don't have a, a whole lot of answers today, but I want us to talk about how does the process of being shaped into Christ followers, how does that take place, and how through worship does it matter and um, transpire, and how does it happen, particularly through music. So the, the session description is what we see forms us as Christ followers, which I think is true. How does a combination of music and text shape us, inform us, and impact our daily lives? Uh, How can worship leaders be intentional in their role as disciples? Which was part of, back to my evaluation, how can we be intentional about that? So spiritual formation, this is a definition that I just kind of put together. Uh, There's probably a lot of things that could make it better. But spiritual spiritual formation is anything that enhances our communion with God, shapes us into being more in Christ's image, involves us in the work of God in the world, forms our thoughts, practices, and actions Godward, and opens us up to the Spirit's promptings. So that was just what I thought was a fairly comprehensive definition of what spiritual formation actually is. So spiritual formation is broad. And I think as a starting place, we are formed in different ways as differently as we are impacted by the world individually. So say that differently, not all of us will be formed in the same kinds of ways. So in music, different music will form us differently, and what might form you might not be formative for me at all. And what might speak to you might not to me, etc. And so we're all shaped according to who we are as individuals, which is the challenge then for all of us as leaders of a congregation of worshipers, all who are different. And what this actually means is that's one of the reasons that our, our, our responsibility, our job is so challenging. And the fact that different, everybody perceives music differently enhances that, um, challenge. Words don't get as much critique as music, by any stretch. I think that's going to be changing in our world, as we'll talk about in another session this week. But I think the reality is it doesn't. So, um, nothing is more primed to shape us spiritually than our regular and active participation in worship. I have begun to see that in people's lives, and I believe it to be true in my own. But why do we often, or, or do we often, neglect worship's ability to form us? Do you believe that we do that? And if so, why have we not emphasized worship's ability music? And particularly music and worship, why have we not called it out if it, if it does shake us? What are your ideas about that? Do you think we have? So maybe the passivity, the passive nature of worshippers, is a part of that when people not engaging and not trying to be intentional, maybe some of some that. Others? it's not, you know, there. Yeah. I think we have a tendency to sing songs and not getting that close mm. to the words and I love this morning because this afternoon when I took the words from the hymn and put it into the um, prayer and I think if you do that more often that it draws you to the man more aware of the words when I look at that. we would say, well, what, what did we sing? You know, I did say, oh, wow. Say that, you know, which sometimes we goes by pastor, and you know, I'm guilty too of not engaging with what I'm really saying. Yeah. So my question was really then, so what, if we not emphasize worship as being, as forming us into Christ followers, forming us into disciples, then what have we emphasized? Which is kind of what we're getting at. And that that's, that's the question that I kind of came to. So what, what have we been emphasizing? And I, I don't know. But I wonder if we've emphasized that, that music is always about feelings—that we either feel or we don't—and we don't engage with our minds. We, feelings are not bad. The feelings are very, very important. But that's not the only word. It's not the only thing. What about attractiveness? You know, we tend to describe sermons as things that impact us and help us or whatever, and music as something we either like or don't. So. A lot of times we perceive ourselves to be in a performance mentality, which means an evaluative mentality, whether I like it or I don't like therefore it is important or not, based on how I perceive it. I don't know, but that's a question I've been thinking. So if we're not being formed and we're not emphasizing that, then what are we emphasizing? Because we're always emphasizing something. See, there is an emphasis. It just is a misguided, perhaps a misguided. Way. Another... Um, <coughs> Since music often consumes 40 to 50% of our worship time, or more for some of us, music is primed to be the single most important shaper of our spiritual lives. Has that occurred to you? It could be that music is the primary shaper of our, of our lives, of our spiritual lives. And I believe that really is true. I really believe that's the case. Sometimes I think that um, everybody knows that, but nobody acknowledges it. And I think sometimes we need to be the person to acknowledge that, and we need to make sure that everybody, that other people acknowledge And We'll talk about that a little bit as we go along. A quote that I like from uh, Eileen Gunter, um, who's an organist, uh, wrote this quote a while back. What people in our gatherings believe about God comes in large part from the songs they sing. This offers musicians and worship leaders a letter opportunity to guide the congregation's spiritual formation with music from from as broad a perspective as we can. Music of lament as well as praise. Music that reflects the mission of our church. Music that delivers the message of the gospel. And music that leads to a concern for the world. Choosing music for worship, putting scripture and prayer on the lips of those in the worshiping congregation is indeed an awesome responsibility. I thought that was a... She covers a lot of areas in which we are able to the lives of people through the music that we sing. Uh, and she definitely shows the, the sacred responsibility of what we sing and why what we sing matters deeply and how we balance that and cause us to work Another quote uh, from a very different perspective. When referring to his experiences as a teenager singing the Brahms Parkway, uh, John S. McClure commented, my knees buckled, I had to sit down for a moment. I've encountered the truth about myself and the reality of God. And that encounter was forming my spirit, molding it. In these and other circumstances, church choral music performs our spirits. It enacts a spiritual, a Christian spirituality. This is an article about the impact of choral music on spiritual formation specifically. But he sides that it I thought again, you know, I've been there. I've had those experiences through choral music and through congregational music, but that changed me. And I like the idea at the end that performs our spirit. It enacts spiritual, uh, Christian spirituality. And I think for for me, the worship that we experience today, it made my knees buckle. It changed me. It called me to a different place. It set a new bar for me. I used the word in my introduction that it would worship me or recalibrated. I don't know what that what is the Idea of recalibrating, what does that mean to you? What are some things that are recalibrated along the way? Yeah, this one needs tuning. We figured out it. We realized that uh, through a strange uh, series of events, we did not get the piano tuned. But we realized that at the this afternoon. So at 6 o'clock, there will be a person through from 6 to 7 to recalibrate, and then he will come back tomorrow to recalibrate. Lunch. <laughs> like I said, just tune into itself today and tomorrow I'll work with your, you. Know, all that. So he sat. But you don't know until you sit down there and you realize hmm, something's wrong here. And I had been over and sat down piano and piano he forgot, I forgot. There we go. Yeah, what else needs to be recalibrated? What, what other things have to be adjusted? get on our worship today it's really hard to go against the whole sound of what we heard you see that in itself is a great witness that god's power and that's that happens in corporate worship where we are recalibrated um, the idea of joe's prayer would have uh, tuned my heart to sing my grace see, my heart isn't necessarily tuned as we're talking about the piano to sing god's grace that God can do that through worship. And then that's a part of the spiritual formation that happens. Really just because to believe that Sunday worship is so much about retuning, recalibrating, readjusting. Yeah, all those re summings. Yeah, because it doesn't mean we haven't been there in some way, but we're, we're redoing that. So that's really a lot of what spiritual formation is about. If spiritual formation is forming in us into the image of Christ and into God's way, then that's what we're doing. So, how does music, uh, how has music? And does music impact you? So I think always a starting point before we think about how does something impact others. How does it impact us? And so spending some energy thinking about how, how what difference does it make for you? The difference does it make for me?
1: Some believe that as much as
0: seventy percent of our theology is formed through music, and nobody's done that I know of a um, quantitative study on that. But there's everything from sixty. 70, 80% of all kinds of percentages people just throw out there. But at 70% seems to be kind of a, a median um, way that people say they're performed. So how does discipleship and worship fit together and how does it happen? How do these two become uh, in tandem with each other? I think worship is an ongoing process that consumes the meantime between here and our being with God. So worship is what we do. Worship is what connects us from this moment into the moment when we are ultimately with God, as we sang about the second: "Lost in wonder, love, and grace." But what we do between here and there—it is that constant connection. It's a stream. It's the line that flows between us. So it's, that's and worship happens in the meantime, in the not, in the already, but not yet, in the transition moment. Here, uh, we already talked about worship recalibrating, resetting, etc., etc. Um, disciples can connect many forms, and we've already said that. So we can be in small groups, we can be in, in intentional Bible study, we can memorize scripture, we can, I mean, we can, uh, intentional prayer, many, many things. But worship is one of the ways that discipleship takes place. But worship involves all of that, actually. And then you could go into worship as a way of life, and all of life is worship. But we're talking more specifically about corporate worship and corporate song. To be in God's image, we have to first be reminded that we are not God. So we've already talked about that. And worship is a way is about transforming our brokenness. We are all broken people. We are all continually cracking and coming undone and having uh, fissures uh, uh, established within ourselves in all these kinds of places. And worship is a way that we are put back together and that our brokenness is. covered in the blood of Christ, or smoothed over and is made, made okay. Every Sunday, um, every Sunday morning, a worship leader stands before people who have forgotten who God is and why he is so worthy of worship. That's one of the reasons we need to paint a clear, compelling, appealing, and accurate picture of God. And that's a quote I found from Bob Kaufman. I thought it was a very, it's a very important quote. One of the tensions we need to uh, one of the reasons we need to paint a clear, compelling, appealing, and active. is through a lot of descriptions. And I would just say we won't always get all this right. We won't always get every one of them right. But we have to be working toward getting this right. I think this is very important. I, I just read in the margins above that um, worship uh, must transform us. Any encounter with God should not make us the same. That if we really believe that God is God and God has ability, God will change us, then an encounter with God shifts who we are and puts us in a new place and moves us into a different level. I don't think most of us, I don't think I always think of worship as having that ability, having that power. I think if I did, I knew some about kind of that so. But to be honest. So we, we think too little sometimes. Another idea that I would pr- propose to you is working backward rather than forward. So asking the question of where are we headed, we talked about this, this being with God kind of moment, and how is it where are we headed ultimately, the lost in wonder, love, and praise idea. So the idea from, here to, from there to here, what we normally think of is not the same. We are going from here to there rather than from there to here. But what if we were to think of that differently? So the question would be, if we were to say the ultimate worship will be with God in heaven and with will, that will be the culmination of all of who we were created to be and what God has intended for us, then asking questions like, what is God like? Uh, what will heaven be like? What will worship look, sound, feel, smell, and taste like? Who will be included in this worship? Will it be multilingual or will it be only our language? Will it be multi-musical? Will it be only our preferred styles? Will it only be about what we like? Shouldn't the meantime in the direction of the destination, shouldn't the meantime be in the direction of the destination musically and otherwise? And what are the implications of this? So that if you imagine what this ultimate worship experience, as much as we could think about who God is, which is pretty limited. But if you could imagine that, and then you could play, say, well, if this is what we're looking toward, now how do we bring that back? And then how would we get from here to there? What would we need to do now, and other, in other, to be connected along that continuum? And that's been pretty, pretty uh, big deal for me, because I, I asked my students a while back in a class. I said, so if you have a, a. Um, God that only speaks one musical language, then how big is your God? And if your God only sounds like the music that you like, then how much could you trust that God? So if God, because that means God would be created in our image, right? Which would be certainly a novel. Just to get started. So to think of God, who my God might be and then to try and go backwards in that would help us with this whole spiritual formation thing. Let's move on as we kind of unpack that idea a little bit. But the next level, music changes us. We cannot explain how, but we know it to be true from the testimony of others and from our own experience. So when you start to think of how music changes you and when we start to try to explain it to others, it's kind of one of those things if you don't get it, you probably won't get it. Uh, but we know it to be true. And it's undeniable, but, the, but there's a mystery in there. It doesn't make any sense, does Have you ever stopped to think about the idea that how it is sound, what, why would singing be such a big deal? It doesn't make any sense that it would be to me. But I know it to be true. The, the testimony is that it, that, it, that it does. Music broadens the focus of our prayers. It gives us words to speak when we can't think of them. And it gives us sonorities when feelings are too deep for words. So how many times have you prayed when you were you said, that's the prayer that I would pray if I could have thought of that. But thankfully someone else thought of it for me. Or that sound is the prayer I am feeling. And the sound was worship for you. The sound connected you in a way that you could never have that's what choral music does for me. I guess that's one of the reasons I'm so immensely partial to choral music, because I have had so many experiences with choral music that I could never ever have had on my own, and and they've they got experiences for me. So for me, it's about the choral music in the way I have explained it or, or justified it personally with my students, is not because it's preserving art, and not because of any you know, of this, is, but but because it utilizes. A group of people to do something that nothing, none of us could do on our own. There's no way that I can make these sounds on my own. And that's huge. Music helps us. I feel God's love and, love and feelings have the power to shape us for the long term. I think it's neglected a lot of times that our feelings really, really, really matter. And music does have the ability to help us feel things more deeply. And ultimately, feelings do have to do with thoughts and habits. Feelings shape us. Again, feelings are not always the beginning point, but feelings can be the beginning point. They can shape us, and we must not neglect them. We must not simply, the feeling people in our congregation, the people for whom feeling is the first stage, must not always um, diminish the importance of that. And for some of us, just because feelings are not our first stopping place on the journey, it doesn't mean it's not important. I have come to a stage where I wish I felt more. Sometimes I don't feel as much as I wish I did. I wish I would lose myself in worship and lift my hands and wouldn't care whether anybody saw me or not. And I wouldn't care at all. I wish I were that person. So I have learned not to be the judging person of that, but to say, I wish I, I wish I could do that. Wish I could be that free. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Instead of saying something to defend my own lack off. Do you hear the difference there? Yeah, yeah. What if I could? You say, wouldn't that be amazing? And I'm not saying I can't and I that I won't. I'm just so I'm trying to submit those things to God rather than defend them personally. See? And that's oh. what we need in community. And we need the whole community to be speaking so that what I might not experience, Todd, might experience. And I can experience that through Todd. And I can experience this through Mark. And I can say, either Mark here, mm-hmm. you I could say, you know, that may not be my experience, but but oh, if it could be. And I can vicariously live it through you, which is a, a whole. that changes the way we view our worship and the way we view community and the way churches, uh, we view people in our congregations and it ultimately could change the way people in our congregations view each other if we were to empower that communal thought and find ways to share those communal stories. Music forms us into divisional people who are transformed as we engage with God in the world. Music sends us out and gives us a message and a beacon gives us us words to speak. One of the ways I think we'll say it here later is that you know whether music and text have informed people is by listening to their conversations. How many times do song kinds of things show up in conversation? And and you can tell a lot about how people think. You will see it even more blatantly in the way people pray. For those of us who are not 50 and older, what are some ways that you have, in your lifetime you have seen prayer language transition through psalm um, language or some phrases that became, uh, became popular through psalm language some of you others might have studied some of this that you wouldn't have necessarily lived through it well, we have a, whole, have a whole lot of gay language terms of let's and who loses just. We didn't talk about just this and just that until we had let's just praise the Lord and some other gay people Sandy Patty language was huge in prayers in my generation. Um, oh God, we just praise you for who you are. That's Sandy Patty. That's Bible language but it became popular for Sandy Patty. And we didn't, and then my question was, well, who is God? Let's go a little deeper right. But all of those kinds of things. We we have a lot of prayer language that comes through our song language. You can hear that a lot through students. You can hear praise and songs just interwoven all in through the prayer language. song phrases. Some of us have have intentionally not done that, so we're not good studies, you see, We're not we a good group study. Analyzing what a congregation thinks gives People both a window into their heads and their hearts. When you analyze what a conversation thinks, you pretty well know what they believe and what they, who they are as Christ followers. Now, that's given, that's saying that people have a chance to have some input on what they think. But the truth is, if they don't have a chance to have some input on what they think, they will change you. Or they will um, send you on your way. Actually. So, congregations do, are known by what they say, and you will know what they believe by what they say. It's a very interesting study if you watch it and listen to it, and you know a congregation well enough over a long in period of time. Yeah, and if you could study what they, what they do. There's often music that has a staying power to stick with the congregation all week long. And as John Woodfleet says, uh, it is the music of worship that echoes in our minds during sleepless nights and then we whistle on the way to work. I don't know about you, but we get to this, I've gotten to this age where sleeping is not something I'm very skilled at anymore. And I wake up a lot at night and uh, often music and texts and things that I know are the things that I return to and the things that I use to, to comfort myself and to sustain me. People receive music in different ways, as Stephen was saying, intellectually, physically, emotionally, etc. And it's important that we hear that um, all, all must be accommodated, and in some way we must set a place for these people. It can't be every week, and the, the, the table can't be set for every person every week, but in some ways we have to accommodate all of these possibilities. Our, our congregation is not a big hemmed uh, bedly congregation. I don't know about you or some of you're to are, But we just don't do that a lot. Maybe that's my, maybe they would like it a lot. I would have never asked them, I guess, uh, true confession. But a few weeks ago we did, I, did, I mean just unapologetic. unapologetically strung three or four things, three things together and they were you know, kind of, and it, came, it gave some people in our congregation, it connected to their story connected to maybe a bit of a dormant part of their story and they came forth with uh, great appreciation for that. We did, excuse me, another uh, series, this was not intentional again, but it fit a theme. We did a series of couple hymns. We sang, I must tell Jesus, and just so sweet to trust in Jesus, and I don't know what else, but I got a, a note from somebody who never ever sent me an email and said, I really liked the hymns you sang on Sunday thank you so much and you know and i said your gracious email back but the implication was we don't do that very often and you hit some important ones this week you
1: know
0: maybe that was a thing but i but i heard the, the story making i thought this is if you knew this person you would not think that those hymns would be, be this person's story you wouldn't think that at all but they are but to know that matters it matters uh, we are not separate from our music our music is intimately connected to all that we are it's deeply rooted um, some um, cultural sociologists say that we are our music that we are so younger people are so ingrained in music that they are that music is inseparable from who they are as individuals and to critique their music is to offer a direct critique of their personality I, I believe that's true. I believe that to be true, because people are constantly plugged in. Music. If you were to see this campus this fall, you would see lots and lots and lots of music's going on, just going down the sidewalk with people. Use, I suppose it's music, it be any number of things, and we can be so immensely selective about our music these days. Things like Pandora. And listening to our, with our daughter recently, and I said, can you please just get off Disney for a moment? And, you know, it's like, we were working on a project in like 30 minutes, we were hearing Disney, and I said, you know, let's just, she had show tunes or something like that, and I said, well, let's just modify that search ever so slightly, you know, let's broaden the show tunes a bit, or something Because like um, A little bit too much. But you can be so specific, and we, some of us could never imagine, music life faith functions most effectively in community. Our goal is to facilitate a healthy and vibrant community of song. And the the book that I've recently written has a whole section on community and the way music connects us to community. But um, it functions most effectively in community. It is a communal event, and it is one of the final, the last holdouts of true community. I'm not sure that all of our congregations sing very communally, but it is, it is our goal, and it's the place that we need to be working toward, for Music forms us by repeating the whole drama of salvation over a lifetime. <laughs> over a lifetime, a year, and a cycle. Um, one time somebody critiqued me heavily for using a particular song in a verse of it. It's not all living It's another big, huge national event that we have in time. And said, so this song doesn't tell the complete story. It doesn't tell the complete God story. And why would you use this song? And my response was that I think it's probably too heavy a burden for any song to carry the complete gospel. And this person was a preacher, and I said, I think probably it's too heavy a burden for any sermon to carry. But over a period of time, the story is complete. Oftentimes, songs that do tell everything are not as useful as the songs that cover one thing because they're very hard to work into to worship because you spill everything before you need to, you know. So, or they don't touch on anything deeply enough that we get much of a development of anything. Just personal observations. Music conforms our faith to the broader faith, historic, global, and ecumenical. And it becomes not my faith, but it becomes our faith informs our faith to many, many broader things in a way that many of our lives and many of our experiences wouldn't be done otherwise. Uh, the, The music of the church contains all the central doctrine of the church. It's a complete story if you're conscientious about letting there be a complete story. And we can all get on a few pet subjects that we sing about all the time and we don't have a complete story. But it is incumbent for us to make sure that there's a broad story that gets told through the music. The music of the church focuses on the complete drama of salvation on God and what God did through Christ, and God's word is highlighted. It. And I just fit it in the margins, yes, that's explanation. But that's what we want it to do. Music grounds our faith and connects us to specific times and places. Our spiritual memory is in, is shaped largely through the songs that we sing. Have you ever imagined sharing your story, your faith story by song? And how would you, what songs would you put to describe, to tell your faith story, to tell who you are as a Christ follower? How would you do that, and what songs would you put? It's an interesting little thought I've thought about a bit, and how has my faith journey been impacted by the songs that I've sung? Where am I now? Where have I been? Where might I be going? So it's an interesting story, but I think it's true that, that our faith is easily done now. Singing a balance of the church's songs from different times in history allows us to experience a balance that singing the songs of one historical period does not provide. And I would submit that every time in history is unbalanced, that there are no perfectly balanced times of history. And so when we sing songs about, uh, historically, about Pietism or about revivalism or about any number of historical ideas, we are able to show a more complete God story than if we only sang songs about today or songs from any other particular historical period. When we sing, we perform and embody our faith. By acting out our faith and putting it into our bodies, we are able to recall our faith in ways that move beyond cognition. So how is it that that happens? And we've talked a little bit about uh, senses and all of that kind of thing. There's an article that circulated a lot last week about that heart rates synchronize among choral singers. Yeah. I, I started working on a choral journal article that was supposed to be about blah, 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 and uh, it didn't get finished. But one of the things that I was looking for, I had written that our heart rates synchronize when we sing. I found good, um, st- a good study that our obviously our breathing is synchronized and then there's probably no other place where, you know, 1,000 people might actually all take a breath at the same time as in congregational synonyms. There's just other where else would we, nowhere else would we do that. So that's true. But I couldn't find any evidence to support the heart rate thing. But now I have a study to show that, yes, we do, our heart rates do come kind of in synchronization, do start to synchronize when we sing together. So that in itself is an embodiment it's a pretty, pretty sophisticated thing. It's pretty amazing. Through uh, singing, we live into deeper and more complex expressions than with words alone. Uh, it affects our senses and our souls, and it's far deeper than just words. Through singing, we establish a direct connection to a lifetime of uh, faith encounters. Um, as leaders, our goal is to offer balanced faith formation. experience okay, so over a series of weeks, months, and years. No single service can hold all the wonders of so over a period of time, we need to look at that. Leaders must expect spiritual formation to occur through music. We must talk about spiritual formation, and we create an environment where it's anticipated. And that's one of the most important things that I want to mention today, is that I think we're, we have not been truthful enough as we have not said what music does. And our role has been, well, why should we have to say it? We all know it's true. We feel it. We experience it. Sometimes you have to say it. So back to my evaluation of mine not affecting the spiritual formation of the congregation and being perceived as not playing an active role. I don't think I wrote enough about that and I said enough about it. Not meaning that I needed to say it in worship, but somehow I need to be sure that people know that their lives are being transformed through this so that it doesn't just happen and they have no concept of it. Not just so my evaluation is better, but sometimes people don't know it happened until you call it out, and if you've had an experience before where you had the ability to do something and you were actually doing it, because you didn't know you were doing it until somebody said, You're very good at something. And then you said, Well, gosh, I guess I am. I guess I do that all the time. But I never thought of it. Sometimes we have to name it. And that would be one primary point I would today. Spiritual formation is uh, Offers a fuller gospel message. And you might ask the question, so where are the weaknesses? What part of the gospel are we not focusing on? What parts are we neglecting? Do preachers neglect certain certain aspects of the gospel on a regular basis? Seth, have you ever had that experience? you worked with preachers who, this is kind of the things they always preach on. And they don't get into other things. Well, it's our role to offer it's our role to say, "Oh yeah, there's you know there's a whole trend in here or you know, whatever," and offer that that other side. The songs of God, um, a spiritual formation through music, songs of all God's people. Who in God's family is omitted in the songs that we sing? The question would be, who do we not sing about? And when we sing global songs, when we sing songs of other cultures and other times and other places, we are saying. Our God, the God that we serve, is bigger than this place and this locale and what is happening at filling the blank place. We're saying that, and we must say that, and we must make sure that people understand that. Cyclical and sequential songs. Um, Cyclical and sequential songs. That's a, um, that's, um, help me a second, Um, it's Michael Hahn? Michael Hahn, you kind of coined that term. But uh, cyclical songs are songs that, song, that you sing a number of times. So you keep singing the same song. Today we sing, Oh, may God, give us rest. So we sang that a bunch of times while sang it kind of sank in. But that was a pretty bad text, so it wasn't just one thing over and over. But that can be considered a bit like a cyclical song. A sequential song is one that, more like a hymn, where there's a lot of text that lines up. And you keep singing, you sing a different text with the same. So, we need all of those kinds of things. How could um, cyclical songs, songs that we sing a lot of times, why are those important for spiritual formation? Exactly. Yeah. And much of praise and worship music, not necessarily all all by any means, but some parts of it. Why is that important? Mm-hmm. sinks in, gives us time to let something kind of sink in deeply and to kind of let it find a spot and soothe and all of that. So it's not just about singing heavy, 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 heavy content and just you know pounding and struck. you know, the truth is there's some really important hymns and I've sung a lot of times that I can't quote any part of it. <clears throat> and two weeks ago in church I got mixed up with something couldn't sing the words of something I've sung all my life. That was I don't know why not, but it just escaped me in the moment and it's a bit embarrassing. Um, but things sink in in different ways with different people and we need all of that.
2: Happen. Would you say silicon? Uh, the silicone would be emotional. Uh, and
0: spiritual or oftentimes, yeah. Oftentimes it will affect our feelings and our emotions. And it gives us space to sort of fill it gives us room to sort of put our own words in between things. And maybe our own prayers and without having to be quite as concerned about other rhyme and text and vocabulary and what was that, I catch that, you know, all that kind of stuff. Excuse <coughs> me. Also an intergenerational faith. It's important that we sing the songs of different generations so that, we, that our faith becomes not just about the faith of our generation, but we have the faith of another generation. Um, Spiritual formation through music should have a broad vocabulary, a broad musical vocabulary and verbal vocabulary. The sound of formation. What is the sound of formation like? And how should sounds form us? And how do sounds matter to us? And how do sounds shape us spiritually? That's a whole other study, but something I think that's worth a lot of consideration uh, it, well, approaching the intangible What things are too deep for words And what things just can't be Named uh, And again back to the worship experience today I think there were some moments in there where You know you could say lost in wonder Love and praise all you wanted but Unless you sung that And maybe heard it And felt that, that you think about it in a different way At least I did Okay moving ahead Rethinking our approach uh, some ways that we might become especially more multi musical uh, One would be trusting the community, believing and letting the community speak, empowering others. We talked about that quite a bit in the last session. Uh, allowing others to speak forward and their voices to be heard, which offers a contrast to our voice. Relying on experts, and maybe not even experts, but just others. But relying on people, we may not consider experts, but people we need to Allowing others to help listen. One of the things that I've depended on other people to do is to say, here's a song that we might want to sing. What about this song? Have you heard this song? And try to rely on others. Because there are some, help, some places in music I just don't listen to naturally. And I don't, just don't go there, but I might find some gym there. Somebody else might know something. We can never should be the full body of Christ musically, other or otherwise all are needed and should be included. Uh, the, the communal process of discipleship. Our uh, not speaking of musical language, this is from the book. is no excuse for leaving our congregation homebound and unable to travel. So just because we are not adept at the musical language doesn't mean that somebody else in our congregation might not be. And through another musical language, somebody's life might be transformed in touch. So who can provide what we can't provide? And who could be the interpreter on this journey that we are on? Um, who could interpret this for us as we get down this uncharted territory? Digging deeper. We are a diverse body of Christ. Uh, music represents who we are. We said that. Diverse locally and globally. So sometimes we're not even diverse locally, much less globally. I'm embracing and showing value for all God's people ultimately opens us up to the expansion of God and the vastness of God's creation. So I'll ask the question on the margin here. What if your God looked like your music? Um, How would you paint the God that you believe that is the God you serve? Um, How would you describe this God through sound? Uh, What would this God look like? And if that's all true, then how is this, what's the sound like? And how limited is this God that you serve? Consider approaching the music of the church as free not unentangling. I think that has all kinds of possibilities for helping us by, instead of, the mu- so much music and so many options are negative, but if that becomes a free aspect. Abundance versus scary. scarcity. There's so much music, and as a student of mine says all the time, ah, so good, so good, so good. There's a lot of so good stuff out there in lots of places. Asking the question, how much can I experience rather than how much can I avoid? <laughs> it's really changed me a lot of times to say, you know, how much of life can I experience? And what, how much could I actually get rather than how much can I not have to get? And how what, what would that shift to life? Our worship reflects a God who values and accepts all people in their worship gifts. Uh, we seek to model the final gathering of all that's what we talk about that. We, value, we want to value all that God has. Now, so take it home with you, things, and then we'll have just a moment for questions, I hope. Uh, introduce to songs that you might not normally be attracted to. When's the last time you introduced to something in the congregation that you introduced that you really didn't like? Yet? I think it's kind of important that you learn to like it before you stand up, or you learn to at least believe it's important, the client's important. But I will tell you, I've introduced some songs that I thought were good for us and myself that I wanted to like because I believed it would be right if I liked it, but I didn't actually like it. At first, especially. And maybe still don't. But who called me to leave what I like? Be conscious of different styles, timbers, lines, and other aspects of music that might allow us to engage more deeply. Just because I might be put out by really loud sounds and might think, ooh, I can't even hear myself think. Somebody else may really be engaged by something that's quite different. Those are hard words to me to speak, but I spoke them. Balance types of text, praise, lament, question, and instruction. So balancing all of this helps people to have a more... um, broadly formed faith. Review worship at mid-year or to see if your congregation has sung a conclu- complete gospel. If not, then why not? What is missing? What have you not emphasized much? much What aspect of what theological perspective has not been touched on? Why not? And let's catch them up. Maybe the summer is a good time to catch those up. Uh, Realize that you can't be responsible for the people that always show up to worship every once in a while. That you, that you can be true to the ones that show up regularly. Okay? So the 75 so. percenters. Uh, incorporate the Christian year into your church's worship. And I think that the Christian year, whether it's obvious or not, or whether anybody, you, whether you ever speak Christian year language, if it is a subplot to what you're doing, it helps keep you back. And it helps you not to ignore the major tenets of our faith. And that's really, really helpful for me. Involve others in worship planning. Uh, helps us not have blind spots. When other people who see things very differently offer their input in worship planning, it just keeps you from having the blind spots. And we, my goodness, we all have you know, so many blind spots. But it helps us. Carefully observe how others talk about their thing and notice when songs come into their conversation. I've kind of played that little game to talk to people and see when they talk about the music that they listen to, how often something from worship or how often do they incorporate some aspect of something in, into their faith into their God talk in a sense. If any of you are a part of a small group that's especially a good place to do that uh, it's, it's so a group group, a place where people share their stories a lot. It's very very interesting to see how that works Balancing cyclical and sequential songs and be intentional about that and you'll have the people that'll say you know, I really just don't like people to sing the same or uh, you know, whatever. And you can say, well, why don't you pray you're in this So Why don't you pray? You? you don't say it that way. I would say, you know, I understand. But I've found that, that sometimes it gives me some space to fill in some of those blanks and to think, what is, what is God saying to you? I mean, you share your story. You share your own experience. You know, don't say Why don't you that? that would be helpful at all. Uh, but it's all about how you say it. There's hardly anything that can't be said with enough um, pastoral foresight. Intentionally incorporate songs from other countries, other historical periods, other faith perspectives, and more. And be intentional about that. Otherwise, it might not be under radar. Ask yourself these questions. If we are what we sing, who are we? What do we believe? What do we value? Who, Who do we trust? How much do we care? By analyzing the songs we sing, what would an outsider say about us? If Somebody from, totally from the outside came and only heard what you sing in worship every Sunday. How would they, how would this person analyze your theological self? And how would they imagine the formation, the look like Godness of your congregation? Questions and observations. And have to constantly be looking at what connects, and that's where the listening really matters. Because sometimes maybe Vietnam won't connect with some people and won't have the potential to connect in some places, at least without providing a much broader context that we talked about a little bit ago or you know, outlining that a bit more. It might not connect, it we might really have to rethink that and we might have to update some Sometimes to ask yourself, uh, or to observe, what do you sing in your greatest crisis? Uh, I found myself singing my crisis and then saying, Well, I didn't know you would sing that near that moment. You you can even surprise yourself. And to watch people around you, watch your family members, what do they sing? What do they know? But we sing what we know, so the more we know, the more. Snobbery that we are all that is passed down to us is somehow supposed to be a gift. I don't think it is. I think it's pretty much a curse and something that we need to submit to God to heal us from. And then we don't need to be apologetic if we're around our friends who would expect this snobbery to be in the world. And I think sometimes just like you can shut down gossip by saying,
1: to do the same thing with music and say, you know,
0: it's not been my experience. I'm really not going to Because I don't think there is a place in a church where you will stop or, And I think that's one of the main things that we need to regret. Um, and we certainly don't need to teach it to our young people. Because why should we curse them with something that, that we've had to um, work through ourselves. It's not helpful. Jesus being a part of that role. It seems to be an event. It's the Jesus being a part that role. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are hard things. And they're hard when you work in a, a place that is um, places that are often filled with snobbery and you are trying to not do those things. But, but we're trained in those places. A lot of us. Um, I think it's important to, to, to it, well, one aspect of our we but I think that it's important that we realize that we are shaped in significant, deep ways by certain experiences, at certain times in our life. And some believe that in our twenties we are shaped tremendously by the music of our young adulthood. Maybe not so much by our youth, but by a formative, coming of age coming kind of time. And many people get kind of stuck in that. I think it's important that we, as leaders of music, we determine not to be stuck in memory. Because we can be stuck in memory at any age. College students are often stuck in the memory of youth experiences and youth camp and whatever. Because that's all they have. It doesn't mean they wouldn't move, move on if we help them, to, But we must help them. But they must also have a lot of So that we're all being a part of a deeper memory, a deeper foundation, And ultimately help us to know God more.